You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business App. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. The story that does not have any issues with its network is NVIDIA. Again, posted a big print last night, as Nora was just reporting. And uh, everybody was focused on the revenue guidance, and they did not disappoint there, given a revenue guidance that was substantially above where the street was yet again. Uh, and that's kind of all the bulls needed here. Um, so, uh, Emily, let's bring in Kunjan Sobhani. He's a senior analyst. He covers the semiconductors for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us via Zoom. Uh, he's in San Francisco. Kunjan, you're the grizzled veteran. You've seen these semiconductor companies come and go. What you make of NVIDIA last night? Yeah, I mean, look, any earning surprise from NVIDIA is no longer a surprise. We have come to sort of expect this to be a new norm. Uh, but there were a lot of positive reassuring things. On the supply side, we saw supply coming up really strong. More importantly, supply getting diversified and the benefits for which were seen in their gross margin, uh, which beat the estimates. But more important was the assurance that demand continues to stay strong and they expect it to stay strong in 2024. And not just from the large cloud players, we all are aware of how much money they're spending, but demand strength was broad-based across their enterprise customers, across the different verticals. So that really reassures us for the 2024. What did you make of the CEO's statement that generative AI has hit the tipping point? I saw that headline <laughs> and I didn't actually really understand um, what that meant. So what did you think of that? I mean, look, it's really Jensen. Um, if you have been following the company for the past 10 years at every junction, that's what his messaging always <laughs> is in whatever they're working on. So, but apart from that, I, I would really, you know, uh, um, ask investors to look into the end data points rather than what just he's saying. I mean, he's a very important person right now, but we look at the end data points, the customers are really increasing their AI spend, right? The, uh, the IT total CapEx budgets are increasing, but the AI portion within that is also increasing. And it's not just at the chip level, the contracts that they have with their software customers, even those customers are guiding up their revenue targets. Hey, uh, Kunjan, I love their customer list that they read off. It's kind of a who's who of Silicon Valley, you know, Facebook, Google, uh, whatever their new, new names are. What's the next, is there a next set of customers out there above and beyond kind of the household names that, that we all know that maybe they're targeting? 
Yes, uh, and enterprise segment is sort of the new, uh, the next area that they're really targeting, right? They already have the big, large spenders, but now they want to diversify and expand their reach across enterprises. And the second big target now is sort of governments and reach sovereign governments and sovereign yeah. wealth, right? That's what they're targeting, that they believe AI will be, you know, because of ge geopolitical and trade issues will be more regional and every big economy will need to spend on that. Are there any headwinds that investors need to be <laughs> looking out for? Because I just looked on the ANR function yep. on Bloomberg and there are zero cells for <laughs> NVIDIA. There was one last yeah. night from Morningstar and now he's upgraded to a hold. Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at just what the data says, usually the stock price follows the analyst price targets. Mm -hmm. It seems here the price targets are following the stock price. Mm -hmm. um, when we look at the fundamentals, right, there was really nothing that to highlight as a risk factor in the earnings and really in the near term for 2024. Uh, but if you were, to, if we were to form a bear thesis, a couple of things that would we would look at as risk factors for the long term. One is the China risk. We did see China revenue almost reduced by half versus 3Q in this quarter, right? Uh, and we know this problem is not going away, if at all getting worse. So right now they are easily able to offset what they could have shipped to China while shipping to other customers in US and other regions. But at some point when the demand supply sort of normalizes and the growth rates become more of a normal run rate, uh, you know, this is taking a, out a bite out of that opportunity that they could have served in China. So that's one risk factor on the long term. The second being their largest customers, which are the cloud players, have started to design their own chips. Hmm. So again, this is far out, but at some point this still takes a bite out of the Apple that Nvidia could have served. So that's kind of where I wanted to go, Kunjan. I mean, just the competitive environment, you know, can you explain why these guys are the only game in town? That seems odd to me. I mean, it's not by an accident. These guys were sort of the inventor, if you will, um, for the GPU. They have been working on a GPU for for decades and okay. out investing everyone being at the leading edge. So, you know, this was the same question when we talked about gaming and when we talked about crypto, right? The last two waves which drove the growth for this company. It was not by accident. They have been at this forefront of these new applications where the application suddenly realized, well, GPU is the best case uh, compute platform, and that's why they adopted GPU. Same thing what we're seeing with AI. So this was not by accident. If you look at their R&D spend, which they guided to being growing by mid-30s next year, that's a significant amount of R&D dollars they continue to spend and to keep, again, being at the leading edge of the next cycle of innovation. Can you talk a little bit also about the uh, gaming revenue here? Because I'm looking at your report. You said gaming's better than seasonal uh, top line. But what was really uh, driving that? Because I actually don't really know if I know anything about NVIDIA's <laughs> gaming involvement. Yeah, so the last quarter was, if you look at typical seasonality, it would be we expected it to be a down quarter at least by mid single digits but it came in flat right so and the strength the reason driver for that was better demand for their rtx products these are their gaming cards you know in in desktops and what gamers get so this is what came in better than they had expected due to the holiday season now this is again a temporary move and sort of not no longer a big focus for investors mm. but that was still good to see that in a typical down seasonal quarters they were still able to do better than seasonality kujan talk to me your your investment research analyst you care about valuation it's not just all hype for you give us a sense of how this stock is valued um 
God, if it's up a gajillion to one percent, don't we have like concerns about value here? Um, yeah, we, we do just like any other stock that which has a premium valuation. We do. Um, one thing that gives us a little bit comfort now, like when you look at the valuation multiples now versus let's say six months ago, they have come down to a sort of now it's a reasonable premium above SOX and uh, and in sort of in line or slightly better than its peers. Um, and look, it is still the fastest growing story in semis. It is at this size. It is still the de facto name when it comes to AI. Uh, at as of today, it is taking almost entire wallet share of AI spending. So if you, uh, it, it does deserve that premium. We're about to speak to the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles. Yep. Uh, in just a few minutes, Gene Soroka. So I imagine we're going to be talking about the supply chain. Could you give us a sense of how NVIDIA is dealing with um, the snarled global supply chain? Any challenges there? Um, they have done an absolutely amazing job at bringing up supply, right? The, the Last year, for every quarter, the biggest concern was not demand, but supply. Because usually when you try to bring up supply so fast, so quick, um, you do run into hiccups. We didn't see any hiccups throughout every quarter last year. In fact, you know, the gross margin upside a key driver for that was lower component cost. And what we did from that is that they were able to get more suppliers online. They were to, they were able to expand and diversify supply and enjoy the benefits of the pricing that comes with it. So they've done an absolute amazing job bringing up supply this quick. All right, so in the chip space, the play here uh, for AI is NVIDIA. Is there a number two play that I can try to, you know, jump onto? Um, I wouldn't. I cannot comment over regarding the valuation, but from the fundamental point of view, um, uh, a couple of other names we really like in terms of AI in semis are AMD and Broadcom, and to some extent, Marvel. All right, Kunjan, thanks so much for joining us. Kunjan Sobani, senior analyst on semiconductors for Bloomberg Intelligence. He joins us on Zoom uh, from San Francisco. Uh, and again, just a, a great print out of in, NVIDIA, and that's something that the stock had to have because it's up <clears throat> over 240% over the last year, uh, and it's up you know 50% year to date. So that was a high bar of expectations for the street, and the stock's up 15% on the print. So the market's telling you they like what they heard last night. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. It's all about NVIDIA today, up 15%, taking the markets higher. Our next guest had this name on our list, so I'm guessing a good day for her. Shana Sissel, president and CEO of Ban Ryan Capital Management, joins us via that Zoom thing, uh, also the internet, in Chicago, Illinois. So, Shana, thanks so much for joining us. I, I know in your notes you had uh, uh, NVIDIA as one of your names. A, why? I think I understand now. And But what, what do you make of the quarter last night? So I've um, followed NVIDIA my entire career. When I first started in the business, um, it wasn't even in the S&P 500, but it traded in a very, like, predictable pattern. So it was just a stock I kind of clung on to when I was learning the ropes. Um, and I've followed it ever since. In 2017, I attended a private equity conference where every single speaker talked about how important NVIDIA was for um, you know, artificial intelligence, autonomous vehicles, data centers. And I thought at that time, like I should own this stock. <laughs> and I've been a bull ever since. Um, so I've Good been pretty you. happy with how the stock's yes. done. And I keep trying to come up with a bear case. Um, 
because I'm one of those people that if it's too good to be true, there's got to be something wrong. And I, I still haven't been able to come up with a really solid bear case for the stock. I'm not surprised by their killer earnings last night. Um, they've been doing this now for several quarters. Um, and it seems like they are the rocket ship that's keeping the market um, you know, afloat. So what do you tell someone that, unlike you, has not owned NVIDIA <laughs> and is just looking at the stock now and the earnings now and thinking, oh my gosh, should I, should I buy this stock right now? Is this a time that you know, people can be adding more to NVIDIA and maybe entering the position? Or is it more a time to be holding on to what you already have? Well, I've always, uh, I, people ask me this all the time, and mm -hmm. I'm always hesitant to say, yes, buy it at this entry point because it feels really frothy. Mm -hmm. I know I'm personally not adding to it, but my cost basis is like $250. So, um, you know, and that, you know, I have no reason to at this point. It's hard to say the momentum is there and I don't think there's anything that's going to be a headwind to the stock in the near future. We're really early in this artificial intelligence trend, maybe second inning. And so I think that there's a real possibility this stock could be, you know, $1,200 a year from now. Um, so I don't think it's a bad idea uh, if you don't have a position to enter it now, but I would be careful and maybe look for buying it on weakness. Like I would have bought it ahead of earnings when it was at 650, um, as opposed to today where it's really benefiting from the news. Um, I might look to find some good entry points, but it's, it's hard because every time I say that, the stock just keeps going up and then people get <laughs> mad at me because they missed the opportunity to buy in when it was cheaper. Shana, how about Cisco? It's kind of what I consider kind of a, you know, old school tech name here. And look at it over the last five years, and it's had a compounded annual growth of about, only about two and a half percent versus the S&P up about 14 and a half percent compounded. What's been the story at Cisco in terms of its underperformance from your perspective? Well, primarily it's been that they just haven't kept up with the trends. Uh, the technology that they provide isn't relevant to a lot of the latest and greatest trends like artificial intelligence, but they're trying <laughs> to pivot and become more relevant. And the stock is really cheap. So in my opinion, it's a stock that I've looked at and I own a small position in. It is a stock that I do like, um, but it is a stock that I don't know if I'm completely a bull, but it's just so cheap and they are trying hard <laughs> to become more relevant in the space that I think they have an opportunity to at least improve their growth rate going forward, which should help the stock. It's trading at a ridiculously cheap multiple, especially when you consider tech as a whole. Um, so I don't think there's a ton of downside in the stock. Uh, but, you know, I'm still not sure it's it's a go to the moon like NVIDIA kind of thing. But I do think there is an opportunity with the management team really looking to focus and pivot the business to be uh, more relevant in current trends today. What are you looking at in the pharmaceutical sector? So I really like Novartis and Veritex Pharmaceuticals. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting is um, if you haven't figured this out yet, I like looking at what the new emerging trends are. What's going to be the thing that you know changes the world going forward? Mm -hmm. And when you look at drug development, there's really interesting things going on right now, especially in things like cancer research. So Novartis in particular has some absolutely groundbreaking oncology drugs, um, and the speed at which we're seeing um, new drugs come to the market that are really changing the game in cancer, where it's changing cancer from you know a terminal illness to more like a chronic illness is remarkable. Novartis is kind of at the forefront for that. In the case of Veritex, 
they have a very strong cystic fibrosis um, line, which really doesn't have any competitors. Um, and they really are trying to focus on those key areas where they have a true edge. So those that's why I like those two stocks in particular. But, you know, we have um, like Nova Nordis and Eli Lilly who are benefiting from, um, you know, the Ozempic trends. Yep. Um, and Eli Lilly also has some great oncology drugs. It's just a little pricey right now, which is why it's not on my list. How about energy here? I'm looking at WTI crude oil at $78 per barrel. Um, how do you think about the energy space here? The stocks have, you know, have been quite good over the last several years. What do you, what do you think going forward here? Well, inflation has helped energy stocks. And if you looked at the latest PPI and CPI numbers, Energy was one of the main reasons why some of those numbers uh, or one of the only areas that we saw um, a decline in inflation if you look at it with energy and food. Um, so obviously gas prices have come down. That's good for the consumer. And so I don't know if there's a huge tailwind to the entire sector, but I do like a stock like Fang, like Diamondback Energy, because they don't need oil to be $100 a barrel to have good uh, revenue and good profitability. I think their break even is $50 a, a barrel. And so there's quite a bit of opportunity for a, a stock like Fang to do well in an environment where other energy companies aren't doing as well. Paul, I don't know if you know this, but um, Shana actually has a nickname. It doesn't have to do uh -oh. with single stocks. <laughs> <laughs> she is also known as the queen of alternatives. Oh, nice. So let's get your perspective on the outlook for alts in 2024. Is there anything in particular uh, that jumps out to you as attractive for this year? Yeah, I think that, you know, we've spent a lot of time over the last couple of years being really excited about that venture capital and private equity space. And um, we're not seeing as much of a tailwind in either one of those spaces right now. Private equity has not performed as well as the overall public markets. And venture capital has a ton of headwinds to it. So you got to think a little bit outside the box. And there's areas in the alternative space that I think are really interesting. Some of the more um, diversifying kind of names in the hedge fund space, like equity market neutral, some event driven, things of that nature. But also, if you look at private credit and private debt in the environment we're in now, where I think we're at peak interest rates, um, I'm not saying that I think the Fed's going to cut anytime soon because mm -hmm. I don't think that. But I do think there's better opportunity for yield in some of the private credit and private debt markets. Um, because banks in a, as a whole are not as open uh, to smaller businesses and to startups and things of that nature. So they're going to other markets. And the biggest beneficiary of that are private debt, uh, debt and private credit. Yeah, that's certainly been a, just a tremendous area of growth really over the last 10, 12 years. Private uh, credit as, you know, the banks have kind of pulled back after the post after the financial crisis. So a big, big market there. Shana Sissel, thanks so much for joining us. Shana is uh, president and CEO of Ben Ryan Capital Management. She joins us uh, via Zoom uh, from Chicago. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. 
That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Annoying. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. Listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts or watch us live on YouTube. Boy, it is NVIDIA Day, to say the least, is impacting not only its stock, that sector and the overall market here. Let's get some perspective on it, as only one B. Ritholtz can do. Barry Ritholtz, host of Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. It's a little podcast like a jillion people listen to every week. He gets great guests. Uh, but his day job, he's the founder of uh, Ritholtz Wealth Management. Barry, I mean, you and I, we've been in this market a long time. I'm struggling to find a stock that had such an impact for such a period of time as NVIDIA. What do you make of it? Well, you know, uh, I, I'm always perplexed when I see people um, sort of shrugging off new technology, new companies, shifts in how we operate. We should just stick with the, you know, imagine someone in the 1920s saying, what's with these newfangled, <laughs> you know, telephone and radio and automobiles? automobiles. Let's yeah. just stick with the steam and leather belt companies. They've done great for so long. Hey, you know, technology is how wealth is created, how society moves forward, how humans dominate the planet. And uh, it's pretty clear. Yeah, there's a lot of hype. Uh, go back to computer companies in the 80s or automobile companies in the 20s. I can't tell you which of those companies are going to be the winners. And there's always hundreds of them. Remember, gateway computing. Um, but somebody out of that complex is going to be a big winner and it's going to drive a lot of the economic activity that that takes place. Barry, what have you learned from Nvidia's earnings in terms of whether Nvidia is going to emerge as one of those winners? Paul's been asking pretty much every guest on this show today, you know, what makes Nvidia so different? Why are their chips the most attractive to so many corporations versus IBM's, uh, Broadcom's? So where are we right now in terms of assessing whether NVIDIA is really going to emerge as one of these winners sure. of the so, AI age? So, so caveat, I'm not a semiconductor analyst. However, if we look at the history of chips and how they've developed over time, at one point it was all Intel and nobody else uh, ha had a whole lot to say. Then we started looking at more complex calculations. We went from um, uh, reduced instruction sets to more complex to floating point. And then it was graphic generators and um, games and then mobile. And so there's this, been this progression. And along that progression, NVIDIA has been extremely innovative and ahead of the curve from their bigger competitors, or at least once bigger competitors, you can't can't say that anymore. And so this is all about GPUs and cycles. Um, I'm going to tell you what I think a lot of people are afraid to say. I have no idea if NVIDIA is ultimately going to be the winner 10 or 20 years from now. The technology changes so quickly. 
the upstarts come along and disrupt uh, the the environment so so much. It's very difficult to to make that bet. That said, go back. You don't even have to go back twenty five years. Go back five years. Mm -hmm. Nvidia was that disruptor. I can't tell you who might be the disruptor to Nvidia or if they're going to dominate. Um, very few companies dominate for decades. Look at Microsoft as an example. That's the exception, not the rule. We've gone through arm holdings and AMD and and Intel and Qualcomm and, and one semi um, company after another. So it's really, really difficult yep. to, to make that bet. So Barry, I would say, uh, you can correct me here on, 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 the, on the number of years here, but it seems like for the last 20 plus years, Tech has been leading this market. Is there any scenario why, why shouldn't I be overweight tech long term? There's no scenario, is there? So, so first, uh, let me correct you. It's not 20 years; it's 40 years, yep. right? Go yep. back to the 1980s. Well, you're a lot old, older we, than me, Barry. Let's be clear. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you move from from mainframe uh, computing to desktop computing and the rise of software with that. Yep. And then eventually you move to gaming and mobile. And now um, AI is a software that's that's driving a lot of this. Uh, you know, what we think of as a spe separate space of technology, I, I love to look at the books about investing from like the early 20th century. And they talk about telegrams and telephones and rails the way we talk about chips and software and internet um you know in in the 1930s 40s 50s there were no telephone companies other than ma bell everybody used a telephone so the way we describe internet companies i think that's going to fade and everybody's going to be an internet using company everybody is going to end up being an ai company the question is are you providing the picks and shovels uh, like it wasn't the the you know the gold miners who got money who got wealthy, it was the companies selling them dungarees and and picks and shovels, and so we kind of think of Nvidia that way. That that's the appeal, um, but that's a long way to answer. I, I'm not uncomfortable being overweight uh, technology. You you want to be a little you know advantageous in the way. Um, you purchase it. Um, the one thing that is so counterintuitive about all-time highs that we just reached, all-time highs tend yep. to be very hey, Barry, bullish. And, I know, I, and historically, have done well. Before we let you go, because of your extensive age, the Nikkei hit an all-time <laughs> high since 1989. That's perspective, isn't it? That that's bullish. And and you know, people have a tendency to look at last year is a perfect example. Oh my God. The, NASDAQ up 50%, the S&P up 25%. You have to have context and say over two years, 22 and 23, yep. those indices are flat. Wow. Yep. So as much as it looks like we've come too far too fast, you're really just making up, kind of reminds me of you know the rally in 09 and 10, making up the losses from 07, 08. Yep. So uh, Japan is a whole nother world. Yeah, let's see, I, but I figured years. our friends... Our friends in Tokyo deserve a shout out. I mean, it's been yeah. since 1989. Uh, good for them. Remember, Barry, back early in our career, you had to be a part of that whole Japanese market. And then, boy, for just nothing, 
for a long time. Barry Ritholtz, host of Masters in Business on Bloomberg Radio. Great podcast. Uh, go check it out. He has great guests uh, every week, some of the leaders in finance. Uh, he's also founder of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Uh, some good stuff there. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. You know, during the pandemic, Emily, one of the economic issues that really became apparent is supply chains. Oh, yeah. And how, uh, you know, susceptible supply chains are to disruptions. And boy, shutting down the world's economy and then uh, reopening it creates some disruptions. And one of the people we leaned on for kind of analysis and explanations about how this whole thing works is Gene Soroka. He is the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles. Yes, that port. The Port of Los Angeles is one of the world's busiest seaports and a leading gateway for international trade in North America. So Gene was so good to us during the pandemic and the, and the logistics and all the stuff we had to worry about supply chain uh, during that period. So we appreciate uh, getting some of Gene's time. So, Gene, I, I know we're back to normal. Uh, I know you guys in the Port of Los Angeles settled your labor issues last year. Talk to us about global trade. What's it like on a day at the Port of Los Angeles these days? How, how's business? Paul, Emily, good morning. Business is really good. We're running at about 75 to 80% of full capacity at the Port of Los Angeles. Anything but normal, though, around the world with issues in the Panama Canal with respect to drought right. in the Middle East with concerns around safety and security and broader looks at how this U.S. economy is going to continue to propel itself thanks to the American consumer. So let's start off with where we're at right now. Six consecutive months of growth, the second best January ever, up 18% compared to last year, and our first quarter outlook is it about 2.2 million containers or a 20% year-on-year increase compared to Q1 of last year? So how would you assess then the overall health of the global supply chain relative to what we saw during the pandemic? Because like Paul said, it seemed like everyone was suddenly talking about uh, the supply chain. And where are we relative to uh, just a few years ago? Emily, I think we're in a lot better shape. We've learned a lot from what we saw then, too. But we're front of mind now to so many people yep. outside our general industry, yeah. whether it's us looking for our packages, what's on the store shelves, or just the general consciousness about how this port, supply chain, and trade business impacts economies and jobs around the world. What we see in Los Angeles is that there are a couple things happening right now. The stability of that labor contract has given us about a four percentage point boost in market share. So some of that cargo that we lost during the protracted negotiations has started to come back. Not all of it, much more work to do, but good trajectory. Now, with the Panama Canal suffering drought and the concerns of safety in the Middle East with re respect to the Houthi uh, going yep. after the, the ships and the, and the cargo and, and oil tankers, you're starting to see more cargo shifted our way. Not services being collapsed, not new vessels coming in, but higher levels of capacity and utilization. And importers and exporters saying, I may not want to take that much time, but the bigger difference is the gap between cargo that's moving east and Gulf Coast versus the West Coast is wider from a freight cost perspective. That's important because we're right now in the middle of our annual contracting season for freight. Hmm. All right, so you're, again, right in the port of Los Angeles on the West Coast. You probably have the best view of anybody uh, trade with China. What's, what's it like now? What's, what's your expectation for 
that important route of trade coming from China to your port? Paul, it's still our most dominant trading partner. 53% of Port of Los Angeles business is with China. Now that's down from 57% at the end of year 2022, and it may drop into the mid 40s, as many supply chain executives are continuing with their China plus one strategy, looking at other locations to source and produce goods in. But still, 45, 50 years of supply chain relationships exist, you don't tear that apart overnight. Mm -hmm. right? Just the other day, um, the White House said that they were concerned that more than 200 ship-to-shore cranes at U.S. ports are manufactured by China um, and can be serviced and programmed remotely, creating a cybersecurity vulnerability. What did you make of those comments? How legitimate are the White House's concerns? Oh, it's, it's also very important to us. The Port of Los Angeles, Emily, was the first in the nation to create a cybersecurity operations center back in 2014 with the help of the Department of Homeland Security. Today, that system is stopping more than 60 million cyber intrusion attempts per month. It also gave us awareness to create a cyber resilience center, also one of the first in the world, to bring in the private sector partners with us. That co-helped co with the IBM folks, it has now stopped a half a dozen cyber intrusion attempts to private sector interests that they were otherwise unaware of. So this work must continue. Mm. Talk to, give us that update. You mentioned the Panama Canal. I'm fascinated by the Panama mm. Canal. I read a great book on it. I'll find the author later. It's phenomenal how they built that thing. Um, so what's wrong with the Panama Canal? There's, there's a drought and so the water levels are lower so they're not taking the amount of freight they typically take? That's exactly okay. it. And you think about a vessel at full capacity, they can't load to the top and the transits through the canal are down some 23% according to published reports thus far this year. Now, the Port Authority folks switched on. They're railing cargo from the, from the Pacific side to the Atlantic for onward carriage to Europe and North America, but it's just not enough. And that's, that's why this capacity issue is so important. The Path Between the Seas, David McCullough. That's the book. Phenomenal about the history of the Panama some Canal. Weekend reading for it's some weekend reading. It's a, more than a weekend. It's a beast. Um, all right, so, Gene, so is your business, I mean, is it a, it's a GDP business. Is that how you kind of plan it out here? And so do you get a sense of, are your customers, are they telling you, what are they telling you about their sense of the economy? Broadly speaking, most are upbeat. 70% of our GDP is tied to you and me buying goods. Yep. Now, although the consumer purchasing was down a little bit in January, it was not unexpected. Great sales for the holiday season, nearly a trillion dollars, up 3.8% last year. There was going to be a, a little bit of a lull in January, but the forward look is strong. The Atlanta Fed is currently estimating first quarter GDP around 2.9%, mm -hmm. healthier than some had expected. And fourth quarter GDP came in beyond expectations. Again, what we see in the forward look is an order cycle that runs about six months ahead of when we actually buy things in the store or online, that inventory flow is a leading economic indicator, appears good. So Gene, I'm the captain of this big monster ship. I got my containers all over the place. How they don't fall off, I have no idea. I come into your port, how long am I there before I get back on my way? I look at these vital statistics, as I call them, Paul, every morning, and we're at or better than when we were pre-COVID. The largest ships that come into the Port of Los Angeles uh, average 12,000 containers on and off, best in the industry every call. Four and a half days is the amount of time a ship is in port working. 
that's right where it should be. All right. See, I just I think those things. I, I, all my bucket list is mm -hmm. to go on a cruise on one of those big things. And then when every time Sit I say that, every time I say that, people will email in and says that is, you do not want to go on one of those trips because it's <laughs> not like you're going on the Queen Mary or anything. It's tough conditions for those folks that work on their ships. Gene Soroka, thanks so much for joining us. Gene Soroka is the executive director of the Port of Los Angeles, joining us live here in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio. We appreciate getting some of his time. He was critical in helping us kind of understand the global supply chain back in the day when that was front of mind for everybody. Everybody kind of had to get smart on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, even just friends and family were bringing the up the first time chain. I noticed it during the pandemic is when I went in to get a bicycle mm -hmm. and the guy's like no they all come from Asia done you can't can't get them so yeah. I recently um, ordered a couch and it, it still took like two months to get to yeah the exactly exactly so global supply chain you know it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through invisible struggles like stress and burnout caregiving for a loved one or being misunderstood but insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast. Catch us live weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Apple CarPlay and Android Auto with the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Another big company out with a really good print uh, on their release. That was Moderna, M-R-N-A, the pharmaceutical company. Put out some good numbers. Stock is up about 9% uh, today. This is a $30 billion, $36 billion market cap stock. And this is an important company. It's one of the companies that delivered the COVID-19 vaccines. So always have a special place in my heart for sure, along with a couple of others. Sam Fazelli, he covers this stock. He covers this sector. Uh, he's a director of research for Global Industries. He's a senior pharma analyst, one of the best in the city of London for Bloomberg Intelligence. So Sam, looks like a really good quarter for Moderna. What stood out for you? Uh, Nvidia stood out for me, Paul. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. <laughs> After two days of uh, shenanigans in the markets about how high numbers were. But anyway, we're not talking about Nvidia. It's nothing to do with me. Moderna, c clearly they beat in 4Q. I mean, they were, they were, they had given guidance. Analysts had followed the guidance. They were looking for a certain number. And then 4Q beat, as I can see on the terminal in MODL, 12.4%, right? And they turned a profit, a small one, in 4Q. So that was uh, particularly... Um, good the thing is it's just one quarter it doesn't really change the dynamic of what's going on in 2024 2025 and beyond tell us a little bit about that uh dynamic as you look ahead for moderna how exactly are they pivoting away from being a company that people see the name moderna and they just think covid 
Yeah, so they've got a lot going on. They have, uh, well, more COVID sales potentially coming up. You know, apparently they've told us today that the European Union is looking for contracts for 36 million doses per year in the next few years. You know, that, that's a lot of doses. Um, and, and price is always the question here, right? This European Union, they don't like to pay for much, as uh, uh, we, we all know. So then they've got an, a vaccine for RSV, which is another uh, respiratory virus, pretty much um, a, a major issue in younger kids and older uh, adults. Um, then you have a flu vaccine that's in development. They have a, a CMV vaccine, which is not an infection we talk about very often, but it's an issue for um, uh, newborns, particularly if the mother's got the uh, virus. And of course, in the oncology setting, in cancer, they've got a trial that has been successful. Now they're trying to figure out whether they want it, they'll be able to file it this year for melanoma so hmm. quite a lot going on 2024 is a pretty important year for this company so i want to go to that cancer angle sam because i know you've, you've talked about that before is this something where the mrna technology can be which works so well for delivering the the, the covid vaccine maybe this technology can be used to deliver other therapeutics like perhaps for cancer yeah, so in this case, it's still being used in a kind of a, a vaccine setting. They used to call it personalized cancer vaccine, where they changed it to INT, uh, individualized and neoantigen therapy. I think they wanted to get away from the word vaccine. But in, in reality, what they're doing is they're using bioinformatics and systems that they've been doing. And I just want to plug a uh, podcast that my colleague Mandeep uh, Singh and I did talking to the head of AI at uh, Moderna, and that's the Tech, Tech Disruptors podcast. I was honored to be invited first time nice. for the first time. Yeah, and then so we had that conversation. We talked about what they're doing, and one of the, the things that they do is that they identify new things in the tumor of the patient and use that to, to create an mRNA, inject it back in, just as if it was a COVID uh, vaccine shot, to raise an immune response. And that's partnered with Moderna, with uh, Merck, sorry. And, you know, it's, show, it's shown some really interesting data in first phase two. So the hope is that it will continue to show strong data in phase three. So, Sam, did you just say that Moderna is leveraging AI? I'll definitely have to listen to that <laughs> podcast, but it, that, they're using AI. Is, yeah, is there a company that's not? Yes. I mean, isn't that why NVIDIA is going to the sun? Forget the moon. We've passed the moon already, right? Um, it, it, you know, is there a single company? If you do a search for, you know, we have a function on terminal, which is quite uh, cute, which is NT, that you can look at um, it, it, mentions of words. Mm -hmm. I think you'll find that I, AI in transcripts from calls, earnings calls, is, I don't think there is a earnings call during a year that hasn't mentioned AI. Every company is using it. Sam, let's step back from just Moderna per se and just say, what in your space is kind of really the most exciting for you? Is it is it cancer therapeutics? Is it dementia? What are some of the big areas that yeah. you're seeing a lot of money being spent and you're spending some time looking at? Yeah, so Paul, I, I think with what's going on in pharmaceuticals and drug development and drug discovery and the pace of science, frankly, I can pick any area. Maybe CNS, the, the nervous system, is a little bit more because of the black box and the complexity that it has. But even that is seeing very interesting developments, as you've heard about Alzheimer's disease from Eli Lilly, from Biogen. In cancer, 
there isn't a single cancer that, I've, that we're now, as you know, we're doing deep dives in cancer across the board that I look at that there isn't some innovation coming and more innovation coming. Then you go to immune inflammation and immunology, you know, eczema, et cetera, a whole bunch of, this is all the fruits of two things, genomics and the ability to sequence the genome really cheaply, really rapidly. That's what's come together. And then, of course, you've got bioinformatics next to it that enables you to analyze that massive data set. We don't have a ton of time left, but I am curious when you compare the results that we got um, from Moderna, how are you thinking about Moderna versus its competitors? I'm thinking Pfizer. Yeah, so you're thinking Pfizer, BioNTech. I mean, uh, they're, they're, you know, Pfizer obviously has a lot more going on than just COVID vaccines. Mm-hmm. BioNTech's probably the one to look for, to look at. So it'd be interesting to see what they report. But we kind of know already what they're going to report because they get their revenues from Pfizer, and Pfizer's already reported. So I don't expect any um, fireworks there. Of course, with BioNTech, it's a slightly different approach to taking the challenge at, at tackling their future. They've gone much more broad than Moderna. Moderna is pretty much stuck with its mRNA mm-hmm. capabilities. Yep. Biontech is expanding rapidly. Emily, Sam is a, a, a well-known wine enthusiast, uh, lives in France. He's usually not impressed with the wine I drink, but okay. I think I got him last time. Oh, a you 2000 did, you did. Chateau yes. Rothschild. How good was that? Yes. Mouton Rothschild, well done. I mean, and drinking it out of a plastic cup? Yes. My God. At a, at a <laughs> Brooklyn Nets game, uh, of all places. So that's kind of how I rolled. Not quite in the circles that Sam rolls in in mm-hmm. London and in the rare confines of France, but that's kind of how I do it. Sam Fazelli, thanks so much for joining us. Sam Fazelli is the Director of Research for Global Industries. He's also a Senior Pharmaceuticals Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. He's become in a pharma space in the city of London for decades. Uh, he was absolutely instrumental during the pandemic, helping us understand the virus, and then uh, just as importantly, maybe more importantly, understanding uh, the vaccines and and the companies and what they were doing there. So that was uh, critical. So we appreciate uh, his time today. This is the Bloomberg Intelligence Podcast, available on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live each weekday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern, on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, TuneIn, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also watch us live every weekday on YouTube and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.